Recording. We did it. All right. That was the easiest one we've done. Do you ever roll? Do you ever roll your R's for effects? Oh, we've got an unmute again. Do you ever roll your R's for uh, for gravitas? Uh, I actually can't roll my R's. Thanks for bringing it up. Um, Appreciate it. Because of what? I can't. I just can't. I've never been able to. I can't make my mouth do that or my tongue do that. Can we? Let's start. By hearing that attempt, please. I Why am I the one always making weird, <laughs> embarrassing sounds on this podcast? <laughs> Why is it me? You need to do it. You need to do it. Well, you I can, can roll my arms. I know arms. you can. I know that's that's your Great. that's your heritage. But do you, I can, I'm not. I don't have the no. skills or the heritage. <laughs> no. Listen. You can't roll your R's. No. You're not going to give me an attempt. It wouldn't sound like anything. It's that. It doesn't. It doesn't. I can't. I'm definitely not the only one. Uh, if folks. How about hara? Like hara. 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 I don't know what that does. Wow. That's interesting. I would love to see in the chat. Yeah. Who else can't? Because I know I, Just, I, there's no way. Can I'm the anyone only else one. not roll their R's? And also, I want to know if you can or cannot do a cartwheel because I have a theory. That are connected yep. cartwheels to. Yep. If you can't Whoa. do one, you can't do the other. This Lily is can't. this is probably going to be just, Lily, just what proved about very quickly. The, Ryan, that's me. I can flap the R's. Yeah, that's it. What does flap mean? Uh, it's you're do, kind of doing something different with your. Chris can't do either. Okay, this is this. Never is tried, up. Lily. Never tried a cartwheel. It's okay. They're intimidating. You have to go upside down. That's not a good time. Oh, Ellie can <laughs> cartwheel. You do. All right. Kyle can do both. What, yeah, what Kyle, the- cool. Most Why, people can. How are these two possibly related? I don't know. I just can't do both. And I've only ever spent time inside of my body. And so I just equated both of those two as having something to do with one another. <laughs> I was like, I can't do one. So I probably can't do the other. <laughs> so maybe it didn't rise to the level of theory. Maybe it was like a, you know, a hypothesis. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> And obviously, it can't rise to the level of theory because we have, just in this chat of 38 people, a, a large enough handful of people who uh, can do one or the other. So, okay, doesn't really check out. Oh, we've got some people who are the only person in their family that can't roll. Yeah, that's me. Madeline, me too. Everyone in my family can. Can you roll your tongue? No. Oh. I don't know what that... Uh, uh. <laughs> What about tie a cherry stem? Um, I've never tried that one. I've tried the Starburst wrapper one. And it, it what is that? works. It just takes a while. You unwrap it, a Starburst. You just pop a wrapped Starburst in your mouth and you unwrap it with your tongue. Never never heard of it. <laughs> well, <laughs> looks like you can roll your R's, but you can't do everything, huh? <laughs> <laughs> when you start bragging about mouth tricks like that. It's mouth tricks. <laughs> Uh, speaking of tricks, let's just go jump in with word to word like we tend to do. Um, Mm -hmm. my friend Haley has started dating this guy a couple, a couple months ago. And since the beginning of quarantine, 
he turned his Instagram, um, which was just, um, you know, he like, he's in Nashville, so he's a musician and he plays for folks and it was just a regular human person's Instagram. But since the beginning of quarantine, it's exclusively videos of close up magic. And it mm. is delightful because he's got like, like a, like adorable backing track music with it too. And he mm. times it perfectly. So like the music ends when he's like the big reveal, it's charming. <laughs> It is so good. good. It's it's getting me through. So I have a new appreciation for close-up magic in a way that I didn't before. Did you ever go to the Magic Castle when you were here? No. Mm -mm. No, never went. I'm curious. I mean, is it going to survive? What places are going to survive? What's going to survive? I don't know. I just found out a hotel here. Is Is that true? Wait, what is? I heard Macy's is closing down. Eh, I wouldn't miss that. Yeah. All right, fine. I mean, it would be sad for people with jobs at Macy's. Um, but I don't, personally, I don't go to Macy's. So I don't feel a lot of I don't know if it's true either. I, that. that's... There's a hotel but here in Nashville that I just found out 10 minutes ago is closing down. And it's all mid-century modern decorated. And so they're trying to sell all the furniture. So all their oh. furniture is for sale right now. So it's a pipe dream. But I sent I sent a text about it to to matt and i was like i think we're both too poor for this but it's nice to nice to dream hotel furniture i just always assume has semen all over it i mean beds sure no maybe anything in the room couches chairs okay some of this stuff was in lobbies (laughs) a lot of this furniture was in public areas. several things in the lobby have semen all over it (laughs) you are still correct about that (laughs) you're not wrong entirely (laughs) But, you know, I mean, it's, it's not like it's... A lot of things in my apartment it's have not gonna make all sick. over them. It's I don't just know a, just a what the problem is. You just don't put a blue light to your hotel just furniture. <laughs> it's like that scene from The Office where they're in the hotel and yeah. uh, Dwight and Michael, I can't remember which one, but they're like, it's either blood, semen, or urine. <laughs> and Michael goes, God, I hope it's blood. <laughs> I'm watching a lot of The Office. Look at we both have a Topo Chico and we both have what is the other thing you're drinking? Coffee. Coffee and then I have regular water. I'm big on liquids. You have three things here. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I have I four. Like I almost got a kombucha and put it here. I too. have a matcha latte and a Topo Chico. Ooh, that looks good. What? Where'd you guys go? So if you can, if you separate my matcha and my latte. What places are open in your hood these days? Kumquat's been open the whole time. Wow. They do it really well. well I'm they proud only let three people in the store, and it's like. Shields up everywhere mm-hmm. and hand sanitizer, and they sanitize the payment screen after everything, and it's good. Good job, them. I like that. Yeah, good job. Oh. Come quat. Come quat. I had a word. You have a word. A word from the Lord. Oh, I don't know if I no. I'm that just one, kidding. But... A word for the for the for the show. I never never really bring a word myself anymore but mm-hmm. this time i thought about it as i was walking back here from the coffee shop Ooh, do tell i was thinking about morality <laughs> yeah let's dive in <laughs> what about it michael <laughs> <laughs> dive in here uh i was just thinking about the big move of like of not believing in an like a universal objective morality anymore, and that's a big move for somebody to make, and it's a scary one. Mm-hmm. And it's still it haunts 
so many even like progressive circles and all people that like you might not expect there's like a an underlying moral code that seems to be believed in at the bottom of every fundamentalism hmm. at the bottom of every uh restriction and so it's a, it's a i remember just being so terrified of of the wishy-washy well if everything's just subjective then why don't I just go out and murder everyone? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's because, like, there's a level of moral development where you need those rules to, like, learn to learn how to not be a shitty human being. I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know if you do. Yeah, maybe not. Because that that operates on the assumption that we're born inclined to be shitty human beings. I actually don't think that we are. I think that we exist mm. in in the midst of a lot of large and complex and sometimes seemingly subtle but oppressive and objectifying systems that um, indoctrinate us into uh, in the direction of becoming humans that can cause harm to other humans by participating in those systems. Um, so I don't know. And I mean, it's maybe a moot point because when we're indoctrinated into and by those systems, that becomes our personality. It becomes who we are. But I don't think it's like a fundamental, like you're born with an inclination more towards bad than good. So you need to be taught how to be good on its own. I think it's because we exist inside of capitalism and white supremacy and patriarchy and ableism and other forms of oppressive systems that are like constantly selling us on like, you can gain more if someone else has less. How does that sound? Um, so I don't know. I mean, again, I'm, I might be saying the exact same thing you are, but I think the core question of like, are we born with more of an inclination towards badness? So we have to teach goodness. I don't think so. Well, but even to, to say that would assume that there, that those are real objective things to say that we are born towards badness. And we need goodness. I'm saying hmm. both things are entirely made up. <laughs> of course, that's what you're saying. I am saying, like, when I say a shitty human being, well, I mean, if you give a two-year-old the choice to, like, push over somebody and take all the chocolate or share it equally among everyone, that two-year-old most of the time is going to push over everybody else. And take I don't know. I'm sure, I'm sure there are two-year-olds out there who are like, I don't want to do that. Eh, and they maybe. just truly you like, don't have kids no i don't and that's why i'm like i can't say for certain but there's gotta be like i don't know because i just don't know how i feel about like the whole like yeah it's they'll default to selfishness every, like what we perceive as selfishness every time what if we, i don't think it ever evolves past that i don't think we ever get past selfishness i think it gets more sophisticated selfishness <laughs> so like what do you get by and this is what I mean. I don't mean that you always are going to push over the person to take the chocolate. At some point, you go, "Oh no, I want to share." Why yeah. do you want to share though? That's not always a selfish motivation. To sometimes you like it's a it's a it's like a, a desire of its own. Like I want to share. Yes, but why? What I don't do know. That's every it? individual person that's doing. You that get question. at least joy out of it. Nah. Yes. Nah. You get or a sense Mm-mm. of being good. Mm-mm. You get a sense of being a good person. Mm-mm. There's payoffs beyond just the chocolate you eat in that moment. There are relational payoffs. There are like 
payoffs yep. via connection with yourself. So it's not just like the the yes. higher payoff is the more chocolate in the moment. I know, but what is a relational payoff? When you get what is when you get that person when you see them smile. You get something out of that. And why is that bad? Why is that automatically selfish? It's not bad. Again, there's no bad. But why is that selfish? <laughs> it's I wouldn't say selfish because what I'm saying would like totally negate even the word selfish as being a useful word at all. Um, but if we're going to use the word, we tend to use it in places that um, where I, I do things at the expense of other people for myself. Mm. But when, so in applying that, no, it's not a selfish thing to share your chocolate. Um, but to think that there's nothing about yourself, nothing about your own desires that are being met, I think just pushes your actions into being unconscious. Mm. Like being the most altruistic person in the world allows you to feel great love. It allows you to feel empathy. It allows you to see their smile. It allows you to um, experience flowing in kindness rather than constricting in selfishness so there's i'm still, tracking with you no s- and i'm i'm trying to pay attention but madeline's uh madeline Hendricks uh photo just popped up on my main page do you see, can you scroll through and find it's like a cement duck wearing a crown <laughs> and it's right underneath your face on my screen so it just in the middle of your <laughs> deep monologue <laughs> that <laughs> happened to me <laughs> I can't, and I can't not look at it oh, here. Wait. I can. The du- you mean like the ostrich? ostrich. Oh, it's an ostrich. The- yeah, yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I've seen Madeline's picture before, and I'm I'm uh, very happy. That's amazing. It. Okay, I'm going to turn on speaker view. Maybe that'll help me focus. I, I just I just want to pin it. Can I pin it? Oh my gosh, it's so good. <laughs> Where do you find That's that? That's good. Um, yeah, no, I hear you. I get that. But well, it's a tough. And I can't what? even necessarily say that you're right or wrong about any of this, can I? Because then. That goes back into like, well, what's right and what's wrong? Well, right or wrong. I, I think there's a, isn't there a distinction between right or wrong or good and bad? Yeah, if we're right, talking about like correct you could or say incorrect. That if you need to give it, you still need given, I guess with right or wrong, you still need a given circum, like a context to apply. So like two and two has a correct answer if you assume the laws of mathematics right. to be correct. So there's correct. correct and incorrect, and then there's good and bad, and they're not necessarily the same thing. That's where like English gets kind of funky, because like yeah. right and wrong could mean correct and incorrect, or it could mean good and bad. I, I personally like efficacious or not. Great. Let's do it. Let's go with that. I'm going to just right, use that word all the time. What do you... <laughs> Let's use that word all the time. Teach your two-year-old. Is that efficacious? <laughs> that would be great. But like when you get the going back to the like being afraid of killing people, I think it was because I hadn't yet fully owned my own desires and fully like seen them and and no, and been conscious of their entirety because like. I had to use the law, speaking biblical language, to, you know, try to not masturbate. Didn't work. And that's just a hop, skip, and a jump away from murder. Uh, it, 
I know. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Everyone in this room right it now was. knows I'm not kidding. <laughs> you guys know exactly what so, I mean. <laughs> so if I, I had to repress rather than like channel or be wise with or um, or just – yeah, I, I had to figure out how to use – external controls some god outside of me outside of all of this that's like looking into it going like these are my rules and if you don't do x y and z then you're out out of you're gonna burn in hell but then but that gets more subtle as you become like progressive right yeah maybe you don't burn in hell but it's just uh it's, it's not right still and to go like there's nothing that's not there's nothing universally, objectively wrong. It's terrifying if you're repressing things and using external control measures to control your own behavior. Mm-hmm. Well, because then it leads you, it, it leads like, you to I... look into your wounds. Because if you're mm-hmm. like, okay, all the harm I bring is just me trying to meet unmet needs. I actually have to like have conversations with my younger self about what my unmet needs are and what the pain was that caused those mm-hmm. needs to go unmet. And that is, that's tough. <laughs> That's why a lot of us don't do it because that is hard work. It's painful work. But when you think about harm that way and you think about harm, the harm that we do intentionally or the harm that we do accidentally, um, if we're kind of calling it by its true name, it's not, I don't know if it really deserves to be called like morally incorrect behavior as much as it deserves to be just called like an attempt to meet unmet needs. And that, that's like, that's the difference between when I'm working with a client that's the difference between me telling them what to do and me holding space to ten, send them back to themselves. And then they have to be with themselves to find out what it is that they want to do. Mm-hmm. And the second one is harder. Most people I work with and my energy towards my therapist is like, can you just give me rules? Like, can you just give me a blueprint to live from? Cause then I don't have to like face my own pain. Yeah. That would be helpful. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that inclination is always there, I think. And I think life is not so much about and healing is not so much about learning how to like get rid of that inclination. Cause I think it's just going to be there all the time. I think it's about learning how to commune with that inclination as often. And as I don't even like the word success, but I guess for lack of a better word, successfully as possible. Hmm. So, so yeah, yeah, I like, yeah, yeah successfully meaning are you getting, because you even have a word like healing, a word like wound, you still have to define. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> what are you looking you for? Yeah. Um, and when you don't, it, those, it, it gets messy, and then it gets to be so much, so, so much complexity, and so much like oh, I just I don't want to deal with all of that. I want to have very simple concepts to operate within. And I get it, and I think it's fine. I think I think it's totally fine. And I use moral language. Sometimes, and especially with my kids, mm-hmm. and, uh, I th- and it's useful. I don't think just because it's a construct doesn't mean you can't use constructs. Mm-hmm. Money's a construct. It's true. Yeah, yeah. Uh. But <laughs> 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 well, it's scary, right? Was that scary for you? When did you start deconstructing like uh, ultimate or an objective of morality? I mean, it, di- it didn't start up here though for me. So like the whole mm-hmm. like, 
ideas of like, am I afraid of losing a a rule book for morality? It wasn't really on my radar uh, mm. during my initial stages, definitely. But I don't know if it's ever been on my radar for any point of my deconstruction because uh, my body was just in pain. Um, and I mean that literally and figuratively. Um, and I was sick and I was dissociated and I was miserable and I had been in physical pain for much of my life and didn't know how to get answers about what was going on with that physical pain. And then like the physical pain and emotional, uh, emotional and mental pain, like always spiked when I was more active in religion and once I started to like realize that there was a correlation between these two, I didn't have any thought of like, what if I go to hell? I was like, I have to be okay. Cause I have not been physically, mentally or emotionally okay my entire life. And I couldn't keep up the ruse anymore. Like I couldn't like pretend at my own expense that like this was all working. So I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't really have like the, I mean the, the kind of like existential, kind of crisis moment or a series of moments was actually about aloneness. It was the fact that I wasn't worried about going to hell. I wasn't worried about losing my like moral rule book. Um, I was worried about not having my best friend anymore because Mm. I didn't have a functional relationship with my family and I didn't really have friends growing up. So like Mm -hmm. the only being I had was the conceptual being inside my own mind that was like God or Jesus. So it was the emotionality of losing that relationship, but not so much losing it now. But I was like, if I lose it now, because my beliefs shift, that means I never had it. And that was the thing that really, I was like, Oh, that means I was alone when I was nine. Like, that's the thing that crumbled me and almost made me not decide to go through that process. So I didn't really have much of a, I, cause I, with the people I talk to a lot about like their deconstruction process for some people, it is like the, what happens to morality? And for some people it's like, what happens to my like relationships in my community? And then for some people it really is like, but what about hell? Like, that's a hard thing yeah. for me to wrap my head around. Yeah, None yeah. of those things mm-hmm. came up for me at all. In mm-hmm. fact, like wow. hell was like the easiest thing for me to let go of. And I think it's cause when I was super young, I was like, that doesn't check out, but I couldn't tell anyone about it. Like I secretly just never believed in hell, even though I was so like motivated to save people from it. I don't know how to explain that to you. Um, cause I was all Mm. about the evangelism stuff, but I think, I think because my conception of God as my best friend was the strongest motivating factor in my relationship to evangelical Christianity. And Mm. I was like, my best friend wouldn't be that mean. So it like didn't compute even when I was like praying the sinner's prayer and had to say that I believed that I was being saved from hell. I was like, that's not, that's not my guy. Like he wouldn't come up with something like that. Mm-hmm. So I let that go pretty quick. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. Like conversations like this are interesting to me, but I was never like one of the theobrogens that thought it was like sat around and like had these really heady conversations. I mean, I wasn't allowed at those tables anyway. <laughs> I don't have the anatomy that allows me at those tables in most situations. So a big beard. Yeah. I don't hide. I can't grow a beard. I can't be there. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it was really all about the loss of 
the idea of who had been my companion during the years when I felt loneliest and most afraid. That was the hardest Mm. thing for me to possibly let go of rather than what happens to, (laughs) am I going to start murdering people if I, if I let go of these, these rules Mm. or like this religion. Hmm. So how do you make it a moral choice now? Say you have a decision. How do I make a moral choice now? What, what metrics do you put that decision through? Clearly not very many cognitive ones. Cause I'm having a hard time answering this question. <laughs> um, when was the last time I had to make a, well, again, though, that's like, I mean, I hear you. This, this is subjective because what I might call a moral decision might be something that someone else might believe to be an immoral decision. And again, everyone always wants to go to the extremes and be like, well, what about murder? And I'm not talking about murdering someone. I'm just talking about like, I don't know, certain decisions and putting up well, what do you wear? What do you shop? What do you buy? What do you yeah, eat? Yeah, those, what right. You, how do you, what friends do you have? How do you talk to them? What mm-hmm. do you put on social media? All of our decisions are going through a moral framework of some kind, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. unconscious or conscious. So if there's ever some kind of dilemma, like, hmm, what's the good thing to do here? This person was an asshole to me. What's the, what's the good thing to do here? Mm. Do you have a, do you have any sort of conscious things that you do with that? Or you just kind of feel it Uh, out? They're not really as conscious as they are somatic. Um, Mm -hmm. I have a really, because I spent most of my life dissociated. um, I have a pretty astute awareness to what, um, what will take me in the direction of dissociation and what will keep me connected to my, my literal physical body. And so I kind of, Again, I don't even know if this is conscious. I kind of have like a, in most situations, I won't say all, but in most situations, I feel like I have a knowing and I might override it or not, but I feel like I have a knowing as far as what decision will take me away from my connection to myself. Yeah. Like I can physically feel that if I move yeah. this direction, I will go somewhere else that's away from her. Wow. And then I can also, again, like think through like, okay, but the opposite option, oh, that'll keep me here. And almost always... Uh, wow, that's it's the, so, okay. So I'm reading Resma Menikim's book, my grandmother's hands in this like 12 month intensive, uh, anti-racist somatic study group. And he talks about the difference between clean pain and dirty pain. And this is kind of what I'm kind of, what I'm talking about right now kind of makes me think of that. He talks about clean pain as being the pain of like self growth and how there's always discomfort involved clean pain is the kind of pain that you experience when you're like, man, there's something I really need to do, but I don't want to do it, but I do it anyway. And it's really Mm -hmm. hard. And then dirty pain is the pain that, um, comes to us when we repress and suppress and decide not to do the work. And so no matter Mm. what, like there's going to be pain in life and you kind of get to decide moment to moment and in how you determine your life. Um, if you're going to opt into clean pain, or do nothing and experience dirty pain. So I feel like very often in this like somatic measuring of like, what's the right decision or what's the, a good decision for me in this moment. It it's, I've stopped using, um, what's painful, what's not painful because that's an illusion. 
Yeah. And like conceptually, like what will keep me from pain? Cause that's not an option. And instead I didn't have language for it until literally I read this in his book this morning, but I've started more being like, what will take me towards clean pain and what will inevitably put me more in the direction of dirty pain. And the clean pain decisions are usually the ones that I measure as like good or correct for myself. Hmm. So I love that. How do you avoid emotionally reasoning? Like emotional reasoning is a, is a unhealthy way of thinking. Like when you're just using your emotions to like justify, uh, sloppy patterns of thought that's very easy to do do you is there any way that you can keep your body in check as far as as far as let's make sure that my body doesn't feel like doing something incredibly destructive well my body doesn't ever feel like doing anything destructive my ego does often and tries to tell me that's my body but my body doesn't ever do that so even your question of um like, how do you avoid emotional reasoning? I don't because there's nothing wrong with emotional reasoning. My emotions are, are information. Oh, interesting. And they actually need my attention as yeah. much as like logic needs my attention. And we actually get into a lot of trouble somatically and in our relationship to our bodies and our emotions when we don't allow any form of emotional reasoning to come in. Um, so I hear what you mean in the sense like I don't want it just like I don't, I don't want my decisions to be all logic and no emotion because my body needs to talk to me about stuff and she talks by way of emotions like how I feel is what she's saying so I want to include that in what I'm determining as well but I also don't want it to just be all emotions I want to be able to put logic in it too but how you get there is by accessing your emotions first like something happened a couple days ago that like I knew immediately my emotional response to it was rooted in a trigger it was like it was maybe one of the clearest like most intense triggers I've ever had about something. Um, and I knew it wasn't about what's happening in this moment. This is about the stuff I've been afraid of since I was a child, like potentially manifesting in this situation. So what I knew I needed to, in the past, I probably would have tried to go straight up here and be like, that's not happening. It's fine. You're fine. You're safe. You can make this choice. You can do whatever. And now my relationship with my body is like, no, my younger self just needs to be terrified about this before we can go into higher cognitive functioning and like figure this out. So I just collapsed on my floor and sobbed for about 15 minutes. And then I gained access to cognitive functioning again. And so you can balance the, you can enter into this. And with the work I do, I'm like, then, then it's like her, my body with the emotional information and me with the cognitive information are coming to the table and we're deciding together on what the next step is rather than me telling her, I don't need what you're telling me or rather feeling like she's telling me I'm not interested in what your idea is about this. I don't know if that makes sense, but being able to integrate our emotions into the decisions that we make is equally as important as being able to like logic and reason our way to a solution. Yeah. But I, th- I think that what I was getting at was when it doesn't come to the table together, because the emotional reasoning is a, is a cognitive distortion, according to psychologists. And, you know, there's all sorts of ways that people can feel. They can feel um, that they need to mutilate their bodies. They need to eating disorders. Like, well, I need my body. My body feels like it's too fat and needs to be 
a different way. I feel like this person is uh, cheating on me, and so it must be true. I feel that everyone's out to get me, so it must be true. Like there's all sorts of ways that people feel, and when you look into it, there's no actual merit to it. Um, and applying like let's let's try to verify some of these feelings with actual things that are happening in the world to see if it's worth obeying these feelings. So there's a way of of not bringing both to the table, and and you seem to have an ability to. Like you say, my ego wants to do things like that, but the ego is still coming from the body. So you're you're eh, dis- you're, you're making some distinctions. But... What do you mean you don't agree? I well, I would disagree because that language uh, that language is so familiar to us in the West to like put the seat of our problems in our bodies that that contributes most often to dissociation rather than anything helpful. So I think it's actually really important to distinguish like what we call the ego. And what we call our body are two different things, especially for those of us that were told during our formative years that our flesh was sinful. Um, so but that's what I was just, getting at is you, you make a distinction there. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking about the actual physical body. Where else could the ego come from? But somewhere in your brain, mm-hmm. which is part of your body and, mm-hmm. and maybe muscular constriction as well. But you're making a distinction, mm-hmm. which is fine. And I think it's a beautiful distinction to make to like re to use body as a positive thing. But all the negative shit you feel is still happening in your body. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call it negative, though. So, I wouldn't use that word. Sure. Well, but, what, ego. Yeah. So how are you making the distinction? What? Where's the? How do you make those distinctions? The distinction between... When you're saying that's not coming from my body, that's coming from my ego. Oh, well, I mean... I think awareness of like, again, it kind of goes to like awareness of pain stories and awareness of like the awareness of our own shame and like ego stories are often rooted in, or like what's going on in our ego is, is very connected to shame. And a lot of us have been programmed to believe that like shame is like the correct default response in relationship to ourselves. Um, So, I mean, it's hard to even know exactly how to put language to answering that question because it's been, it's been a continual, and again, this is why in the work that I do with people, I frame all of this with the language of personhood and relationship because this has been something I've discovered over time how to do with myself and with my body um, because I think you live your way into, to realizing like how this works and live your way into, into knowing how to do it and if we make it into a project that we need to like complete and get correct by like a certain like timeline inside of our own brains we'll just fall back into shame so just like in a relationship with another person you're like always discovering new things and sometimes you're misunderstanding and you're hearing something wrong and so you apologize and you move forward and you try again like using that framing of like yeah I've discovered how to tell the difference and what sounds like what sounds like her and what, what doesn't sound like her and what is an ego story or shame story because I've spent so much time getting to know her and mm. investigating my pain <clears throat> and getting curious about my wounds and the past stories I've been told about who I am or who I'm supposed to be by way of the world mm. that I live in. So I think it's like unique for every person 
figuring out like what shaped me. And again, this is Mm. what I do for a living. Like with my clients, like we've got my intake form that I go through. It's like these 15 areas, these 15 sections that we're just getting super curious about. Like what shaped you, what shaped you by way of ethnicity, what shaped you by way of gender, what shaped you by way of biological sex assignment and how those do or don't correlate and how that was projected onto you. What shaped you by way of your religion, your family of origin, your relationship to sexuality, sexual ethics. Like we're getting really curious Mm. about what shaped you and what you and your body were both told about who you were supposed to be here in the world and and yeah. what ways made you move through the world correctly or incorrectly. So we're looking at, and we frame everything through like the lens of like individual wellness as well as collective justice. So like there's micro traumas, like your lived direct experience. And then there's macro traumas, just living in a capitalist society, just living in a white supremacist society. And all of these things impact these stories that we call like, you know, shame stories or ego stories that are in direct opposition, in my opinion, to like what our bodies are actually trying to tell us about individual wellness and collective justice. So mm. it's a complicated question to answer, which is why I like <laughs> spend four to six months at a time helping people figure out how to answer it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love that coming back to just being more conscious of the the particular patterns that are easy to try to cope with reality. And we see, for me, I know like feeling uh, unlovable, undesirable is at the core of my mm. ego wound. And so I'll notice if over time, that's one of the things that's so helpful about the Enneagram. It's probably the yeah. most helpful thing about the Enneagram to yep. me is learning more about some of these core. Yeah. Enneagram is like, what's your core wound? Like what's your, and what's your biggest fear that grew out of your core wound? And they're like, well, that's yeah. your personality or whatever. It's helpful. And then you'll notice when, when it's the most tempting to become unconscious of something by like pushing it away or grabbing onto something else to try to, <laughs> um, how it's, when you start seeing how it's tied to that wound, when you start seeing how it's, oh, that's just me trying to feel desirable. Yeah. Me trying to feel lovable. Um, it, yeah, when you can see all the things at play, then you're like, oh, well, that, then the morality becomes, at that point, more of a like, what do I, what do I want? What, am I, what do I really want? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when I get down to what I really want and I'm not unconscious about the shadow side of myself that's in there trying to figure out how to be desirable and I see that game being played out completely, I go, oh, I don't actually want what my shadow is telling me mm-hmm. right now. That's not actually what I want. Mm-hmm. What I actually want is this. Yeah. Um, and then morality just kind of falls into place mm-hmm. in a weird way. But that's a... It is a painful journey to go through and that in a scary one. Yeah. But like everybody has to on some level, like there's no one, but (laughs) well, I'm well, a lot of people don't do it, but that doesn't mean it Mm -hmm. because again, this is why I love Resma's, um, distinction between clean pain and dirty pain. Like there's going to be pain either way. There's no such, there's no such thing as living like a completely like pain avoidant life. So like, not doing the work to try and like, what are, what are these wounds here and how are they informing my current patterns of behavior and how I maybe like harm myself and harm others? Like getting curious about that and doing that work is clean pain, but it's still pain. Not getting curious about that and not doing that work is still pain, but it's dirty pain. And you're going to perpetuate behaviors that are going to keep systems in place. You're going to be actively contributing to building and rebuilding and uh, repeating 
these systems that exist that are oppressive and objectifying. So like there's a case to be made for the individual work being a part of uh, tearing down and rebuilding more just systems. So if mm. we're not doing the clean pain, we by way, by default are going to on some level be contributing to uh, not only the individual experience of like the dirty pain, but also like continuing to uphold systems that contribute to other people experiencing pain. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yes. you picked the word morality. <laughs> I know. We... <laughs> this is like a next a... week. Next time, the words butts. <laughs> well, I was gonna say earlier. Um, someone, yeah, Cassie in the chat said that slippery ass slope when we were saying like um, the masturbation to murder thing, and I really wanted to just hashtag ass slope. <laughs> slippery ass slope (laughs) so that can be the title of this episode is just hashtag ass slope they should we should rename water slides slippery ass slopes (laughs) you know what that's what they are most people sit on them when you go down them ass slope they make your ass slippery (laughs) they do oh that makes Mm. me feel like i really wish i didn't live in an apartment building right now and i lived in a house with a yard and I could get a slip and slide because when was the last time I used one of those? Well, if you had been visiting us during quarantine, don't do it. We've had several slip and slide days in our yard and it would have been nice to have you. It would have been nice. That's a sad frown. I'm really sad. (laughs) It's fun. We tried, we tried putting soap on it. I don't know if how that to go. A good idea. I think somebody got it in their eyes. Yeah, that's a classic <laughs> blunder. I think everyone thinks like, oh, the soap will make it more slick. It makes it painful, like yeah. tangibly painful. There's really no good solution. Like it does make it more slippery, but there are other risks. Well, then we did coconut oil. Oh, I like that one. And I can't remember. I think it went, went okay. You probably can't wash that off very easily afterwards. A, that yeah. it's kind of like butter it's like getting but you should try butter next <laughs> do butter next time <laughs> wait Ooh. wait until i get there we'll do a slip inside with butter <laughs> with just butter just buy a bunch of butter and melt it and then just pour it all over the slip inside mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what is do you ever put butter on your skin i mean i have accidentally before like when i've been cooking and i you know mm-hmm. it just gets up but i should maybe try it intentionally sometime what would it be like to take an entire bath in butter i mean it would go back to a solid at some point wouldn't it does butter when it's not like when you cook butter it smells so good in the sun on a slip and slide would it smell good (laughs) there's only one way to find out that's not (laughs) googleable i'm positive i don't think anyone's done this before and then told people about it i bet they have my well give it a try check it out someone (laughs) in this group chat's probably already I'm on it right let's now. figure butter, out how to google butter slip butter slip inside and slide jam and butter's a youtube video <laughs> why didn't i think of that first <laughs> of course there's a youtube floor, video of course someone out there was like you know what i am gonna try this i'm gonna film it <laughs> Okay, so and according to Urban Dictionary, butter, oh, that's butter on the floor. What? So, like, 
I'm not really. Here's the example. I'm not really sure if it's the best idea to skip school this Wednesday. If we get caught, I'm screwed. Dude, just do it. Butter on the floor. <laughs> what? What does that mean? Dude, just do it. Butter on the floor. Is that a? Is that a colloquialism? <laughs> I guess so. According to Urban Dictionary. Okay. So it means out of the blue or like without thinking, spontaneous. Spontaneous. Sort of like uh, way woo way, if you will. Butter on the floor. That's what I. Sh- that's my second record. That's your- <laughs> Butter on the floor. <laughs> that's a uh, Shima's album album name. Shima. It took me a minute. She- Did you forget? I forgot. I'm sorry. You I'm forgot our deity slash band. Shima. 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 Oh. I started. I started a worship recording last night very late you're doing a lot of things without me that i want to do with you damn it are you gonna move to los angeles i mean probably not when wow. when would that happen michael like what <laughs> also I at this know. point i would be not that he's opposed to this but i would be bringing matt with me so i'm not gonna move there and then your boyfriend your boyfriend yeah. Is that is that fun? <laughs> it's fun when you say it because you can roll your R. Boyfriend. See that callback? That was good. That was good. Your boyfriend. Yeah, that sounds spicy yeah. when you do it. I like that. Yeah, it does. I can't do that. I just have to call him my right. boyfriend. Well, you know, I enjoy our conversations always. I enjoy that we can move from absolute absurd to absolute absurd. But it seemed more serious when we're in the... Some when we're talking about morality. We lost like 10 people when we were talking yeah. about that, by the way. I know. <laughs> we we like, almost lost me, this too. This is not what we signed up for. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. This is what I talk like, what about all shit? the time. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. I'm not bringing the word next time. Sorry. Oh, that means I have... Oh, I have an entire month. I can think of a word. But we can also have the ask the audience. Yeah, I'd prefer that. Words. I don't want to think of a word. That feels like I've, too much pressure. I've disqualified myself from providing words. Morality. I like that though. Morality. Mor- mor- Maybe it helps someone. Maybe it helps someone Hope move so. to the precipice of existentialism. <laughs> I like that. That's your framing of it. <laughs> I hope that today we just shoved you more in the direction of an existential crisis. Then we will have done our jobs. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Meanwhile, most of my job on a daily basis is like holding space to move people slightly back from an existential crisis. <laughs> my goal would rather just be like, them. go! <laughs> go! It's great! Over the edge is fun. It's so much you just fun. Keep fly. falling. You can just fly. <laughs> uh, floor's lava! <laughs> <laughs> I'm so grateful for my existential crisis. Me too. You mean the prolonged one that you are in all of the time? I am never in one anymore. I am in an existential orgasm. Oh, there you go. I like that. Yeah, that's different. That's different. different. It used to be a crisis. And then you just... And then you just let go to it. And it's like, wow! Is that what an orgasm sounds like to you, Michael? Yeah, that's my own face. <laughs> wow! Wow! <laughs> Poor Lisa. 
this is. She's so sick of hearing it. I forget who we were talking to. I gotta make sure I'm, as I tell this story, I'm not. There was somebody who had a lover who would like whisper in her ear, like every time that that the, the crescendo would happen. You go, oh, I'm coming. Wait, in a whisper? Or just like you'd say it, you know, oh, I'm coming. <laughs> but like in this little squeaky. I was like, oh, dude, you need a better, you need a better like body training. I don't know what to do. No, that's, that, that's a, I mean, that just goes to show that he's not overthinking it. And I he know, hasn't trained himself. It's kind of a turnoff, no? If, if that happened every time to you, somebody just, oh, I'm coming. I, no, you like it. It's not that I well, like it. I Matt, just don't dislike it. <laughs> I don't dislike it because of like what it represents. I don't, it's just, it's no, listen. Okay. Let's turn this around for a second because All right. I had a conversation. See, now we would have got these listeners back. If they just <laughs> Come on stuck back, it out. Um, this, is what the, this is what they were here yeah, for. Yeah, it is. I, I had a conversation with a friend like four years ago or something. And she was saying how, so she lived with a couple and how, and they were like, I think relatively newly married. Um, not that that really has anything to do with it, but I guess because they had been Christians, they were having sex all the time these days. And so she was really trying to get me on her team about how annoying and disruptive the sounds this, the wife and this couple was making during orgasm were. And I've just kept being like, I can't join you on this. Like, yeah, I can't. And she's oh, like, but don't you yeah. think it's a bit much? And she like was imitating the sound. No, and I was I'm like, with you. I'm with you. No. So why do we do that to men? <sighs> but here's what I think sound is funny about the other one. It sounds restrained. It's not unrestrained. It's like kind of restrained. But maybe that's just his full. That's it. Well, also we got to have you know a conversation what? about like I'm, why does he feel right. like he has to be restrained? Right. Thank you, Jamie. I'm going to recant my laughter about. Oh, I'm coming. I mean, we can laugh about the fact that things, funny noises sound funny, but we yeah. want to make sure we're not shaming people for the way they yeah. vocalize during orgasm. I like it. I like that. Good job. Yeah. Thank you for. It's a similar thing to how the um, the penis grow. size jokes need to get the fuck out. It's not the what does the jokes about like penis size, like we're like, oh, we must have a small di-, like that stuff is like. Mm, that's yeah. body shaming but it's like this really weirdly culturally appropriate for a version of body shaming because we all think it's funny it's not funny like come on jamie that was an that was an encouraging that sounded almost like <laughs> a, like i was rebuking you but <laughs> oh, i was come on. that was me t- you're like being that guy at the party like, like the oh just kidding uh. <laughs> no that was me trying to be like a church guy who would be like yeah amen amen Amen, sister. I just never got that down. I never was a call out. Oh, boy. Shelby walked away for a minute, probably during our conversation about morality and came back. And now we're talking about what we're talking about. (laughs) That is fantastic, though. Mm -hmm. I am always a fan of minimizing body shame, Mm -hmm. sex shame, all the shames. All of the shames. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. It does make me think of though, in uh, in Pete's stand up, his very last bit in oh, dirty clean, weird callback, dirty pain, clean pain, dirty clean was his anyway. Oh yeah, yeah. Where he's um, 
imitating the the, the porn star's <laughs> orgasm sound at the very end. Where he, but his whole thing is like it. You can tell she like rehearsed it kind of thing. But he's like imitating her rehearsing it in the mirror, <laughs> oh, and yeah, it's that's, right. that's see that's the kind of stuff I'm like that one's funny. Because we're yeah. not making fun of someone's like it's natural. Not authentic. Yeah, exactly. He's like, she's doing her job, and this is what she came up with as being like <laughs> the best way to vocalize this while doing her job. It's great. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, she's killing it. She's doing her job extremely well because it got him talking about it. And she, I mean, honestly, it works for some people. Otherwise, she wouldn't have a job. So hmm. she's doing it. What about farts during sex? You do shame those? <laughs> no, that's so normal. I don't know why. I just felt the need. Like, Would you shame those after the morality conversation? I'm just like, you what about talk farts? About, uh, farts. No, I wouldn't shame those, but I would have a hard time not laughing if it happened because yeah. I'm a, I am just a 32 year old version of. An eight-year-old, an eight-year-old, yeah. eight-year-old version of me. We all are. I know we all have. That Nobody in there. grows beyond thinking like fart jokes are aren't like are funny. Like no one like phases out of that. You don't think so? Honestly, you don't think some no. people don't think farts are funny? I don't want to know that's, those no, people. Those people sound boring. <laughs> <laughs> those people, I know those people think they're better than me. I don't want to be friends with those people. You're not better than me. You've lost your childlikeness. No. <laughs> it just is a funny thing bodies do. It's so funny, isn't it? I think it's funny too. See, I think most people do. Yeah, but I bet it would be. But wouldn't it be funny to meet somebody who really just didn't have any humor about it anymore? I think that would be funny in itself. It would maybe be its own kind of funny. Again, I don't really think I'd be interested in like hanging out with that like person on a regular basis. Them. And they just fart and don't. And they just don't, just don't have any reaction. Funny. That would be really hard for me. <laughs> I would. No, I'd lose it. Especially if they're. Like, if they're yeah. not registering that, like, isn't this an interesting moment like, we both just had together? What? If there's no response it's just at what all. Bodies, it's just what bodies do. It's just what bodies do. <laughs> it's just what they do. Staring right in your eyes. And they're communicating wordlessly with their eyes. This is just what bodies do. <laughs> I wonder if people think like I'm that. This is so stupid. Because I talk about bodies all, all the right. time. <laughs> of course it's stupid. Come on. It's fun. Come on. Michael. Come on, Michael. Um, What's the most fun thing that you've done in the month of June? I don't know why I felt like asking you that question. I just really want to know about your life. Hmm. I could also maybe just like text you this later, but I, why not now? Why not? Um, what's the most fun thing that I've done? I really liked taking bike rides around Big Bear Lake. Mm. That was really nice. That sounds good. Um, what's really fun? I mean, I've enjoyed, I always enjoy the dance parties. Um, I'm probably going to think of something interesting to have shared. Afterwards. Well, I realized after you asked, or after I asked you the question, that you would probably ask me the question in return, and I don't yeah. know what my answer is. <laughs> so, yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, I've had a lot of fires, um, like a lot of nights around the fire. Matt built a fire pit in his backyard at the beginning of quarantine. Oh, that's cool. And it's right by this like creek in his backyard. His backyard's really beautiful. Um, and those have been so nice. Um, those are good. Yeah, those are good. We also rented a boat in Big Bear and went out on a boat, and that was fun. How is that and, like, not your first answer? <laughs> it's a, a boat. pontoon, a pontoon Ooh, boat. Love it. And had like brought out the Bluetooth speaker and like had a dance party out on the. That's so nice. On the pontoon on Big Bear Lake. That sounds great. That was really fun. Yeah, back, it's nice. Like you don't take normal little things for granted as much i don't mm-hmm. of just like public things i can go outside and i actually can see several people mm-hmm. outside it's amazing mm-hmm. uh, yeah i've started um spending in-person time with uh, a few more people um in fact uh audrey and joy and i just had well that was actually maybe the most fun thing i've done in june um was i picked up coffee and joy picked up like some breakfast for us and we just hung out on joy's porch for like four hours and it was like the first time i had physically hugged audrey since mm. march <laughs> that is a crew that i would love to hang out oh with. it was so good that sounds like a wonderful group of people we would love for you to be there with us we just all need to come to california because let's face it there's no reason for you to come to nashville that's boring and stupid um so we should just come there you should come here but i can go there eventually too well yeah well, it's really good to see you, Jamie. You too. And uh, I feel like we finally covered an adequate gamut of <laughs> random material. <laughs> yeah, I feel good. I feel good about how we're really honing this in for like an hour at a time. And I got this going real quick, so we started right away. I mean, we're doing you it. You got what going? Oh, the this thing. The I pointed to it. You can't see what I'm pointing at. I'm pointing at the no. the the scarlet. I'm pointing at whatever it's called. The thing that does this. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know this is your called preamp. a mic, but the thing it's plugged your, into, don't know what that's called. Your preamp. Yep, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Your interface. Yeah, that. Mm-hmm. I'm smart in okay. other ways. Well, I wish everyone the best in constructing their morality frameworks. Good luck, everyone. And uh, I'll do my best to continue to shove anyone in my path off of the cliff off of the ledge of their own existence into their existential crisis it's your form of kindness i like that about you (laughs) you have a way with it (laughs) the alien